Welcome friends to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. Sensitivity and intuition in the gifted with my guest, Amy Esterson. Hi, Amy. Hi. Let me tell you all a little bit about Amy. First of all, she's a teacher and it's the end of the school year. So she is giving us her valuable time to talk about being sensitive and intuitive as a gifted person. Now, a lot of you may not use that word, but a lot of you are gifted. So we're going to talk about how all these things kind of go together, right? And I met Amy a year ago um, on the phone because we were both participating in the same conference and we connected because we're talking about intuition and, and knowing things outside of what maybe other people might know. And so we've connected and now she has agreed to be on the show with us and talk about these things that are so important and so valuable. So Amy, thank you so much for being on the show and bringing your expertise in the middle of a really stressful time of the year for you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so let's start out with a little bit about Amy's story. So how long have you known that you were gifted and when did the intuition kind of kick in? Like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> like I got asked yesterday um, a question about when, how old was I? Yeah. I first realized I was intuitive and and I, and I knew right exactly when it was. And so, and started thinking about that. And I started thinking about talking to you. So what's your journey? How, how did you come to all of this? You know, it's an, it's a great question to ask. And it's like a very obvious question to ask and I've never been asked it. So I'm kind of stopping and processing as I go. So I think a little bit about me when I was in preschool, I was, I had developmental delays and I was put in a kind of, I loved it, but it was, I, I have very fond memories, but it was, you know, a pullout program uh, or self-contained special education program. And then I was assigned to my school's gifted and talented program within like two years. So I had not heard of the word twice exceptional and I don't know if it fully would apply to me. But certainly I got that there were things I did very well and there were things that I wasn't, I needed more support doing that other people had more kind of a, a more kind of, I would say, standardized developmental trajectory for. I will say this too. I self-selected out of the gifted program <laughs> because too much busy work. <laughs> so, you know, I bring this like complicated Thing. So I, I, I think I first have to start off, I think, because Diane, we know each other from Sang. Right. And um, I came to Sang kind of by accident, which is an, another wild story. So remind right. me to tell you that story. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I came to Sang out of a wild accident and I got to the Sang conference. Now I thought I was going to Sang because I thought, I thought. I was going to do a presentation about colleges, which is in my professional wheelhouse. I did work in undergraduate admissions for a highly selective college. I do work with clients privately, specifically on things like college selection, college selection and college essays. And that's always been something that I've been connected to and love, love to do and love to help, you know, read, I read, I write, I love teenagers. I love working with, I love working with people on their kind of um, educational journey. So that's all, that's all been part of my 
my, my, my past, but I get to saying, and I hear the word twice exceptional. And I'm like, I have this like light bulb moment because I was like, well, that's kind of part of my path. And again, not exactly, but enough of it where I was like, oh yeah. Cause I was mm-hmm. the, I was both, you know, I, I had these kind of, um, unusual strengths and then developmental support needs. And I was very fortunate to get supported where I needed support Mm -hmm. and um, extension where I was thriving and growing. Um, That didn't answer your question yet. So, okay. So that's, that's, (laughs) in other words, that was me in a nutshell until a few years ago. Um, And the, the intuition kind of, um, kicked in later on long story short i always had it but here's the thing i'm a very academic person and so i always just thought it was being smart if that makes sense in oh, other words yep. so I, i'll give you examples i could visualize math puzzles in my head i saw answers quickly especially in math i was very quick in math and um, I would, I was a very, like, I would see things in math. So I kind of intuit, for example, and I'm using the word intuited here, the way a math teacher might use intuition. I remember sitting in like eighth grade and we were doing algebra. So this was like Y equals MX plus B lines. And I was like, you know what, what would like X squared look like? And I know graphing calculator, but I kind of like was doing stuff like that. And I was looking at the parabolas and then I was like, you know what, how would the slant of the scope of uh, how would X, X squared compared to X to the third compared to X to the fourth. And I was doing this in class because I was interested, but bored. So I wanted to like entertain myself. (laughs) And I didn't realize that I was asking questions that are actually calculus. So I got to calculus in high school and I'm like, finally, I'm like, there's there's someone who's answering my math questions. So I think that would have been an early start to say, you know, there's intuition, it's Mm -hmm. academic, but it's the penetrating questions and insights, reading books and like making connections and saying like, oh, and I, you know, again, English teacher here and, and, and I brought just because I got too excited. I did bring some shakes, some of my favorite Shakespeare intuition moments that I will read to you later because I don't think anyone on the planet talks about Shakespeare intuition. So that will be me later. <laughs> uh-huh. cool. And Shakespeare was very intuitive. And I, I say that a lot about him and Einstein and and lots of different people, that intuition is really what brought everything together. So I'm glad you brought some intuition from Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, because I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do on this podcast. Diane's going to talk to me, but I'm going to bring Shakespeare and quote Shakespeare, if nothing else. Okay. <laughs> so, well, and, and what's really cute is I uh, work with a teenager right now who's in ninth grade, just finishing ninth grade, who's a thespian. His favorite monologues to do are Shakespearean. He loves Shakespeare and I I love listening to him do it. And when he's in the Shakespeare plays at his school, it's like I I'm there as eager as his parents are to be a part of that. And and he so resonates with that intuitive part of Shakespeare. And he's just now realizing how intuitive he is. Mm -hmm. Um, And his parents are very linear. So like it's they're having to, you know, adjust a little bit. But so now I can't wait for him to hear the Shakespeare that he's doing. (laughs) So what? So tell us about how. I mean, so now you're talking about intuition, 
Right. And you first noticed it back then. And so how has it kind of like woven into a thing of importance in your world? Because you are in academia and you do all of those things and you have that. So how did it weave itself in now in your adult life? Again, for a long time, I just thought I was just smart and just active imagination. And, you know, I, (laughs) I was aware that I had this inner voice, but I always liked to write. So to me, having like an active imagination, having a clear inner voice in writing and doing a lot of creative writing, these were all like interconnected things, but again, never taking it out of just being smart. Because again, I think it's just easy. Sometimes it's easy, you know, when you have an identity that works, sometimes like when you have an identity that works for you, even if it's not complete, you stick with it. (laughs) I'm I'm sticking with smart (laughs) because it works for me. And again, for better and for worse, the word smart worked for me. So I just thought all smart people work this way. And this was obvious, like, obviously, you know, and I would do things like I found jobs for people and I didn't know how I did it. And I'm like, well, that's what smart people do. Smart people like just find things for each other. Like, I, again, it never occurred to me until. So, so again, a, a long, a long time of just like, just being smart, just being smart. Two things happened in my life. One is I started meditating regularly. And um, the other thing that happened was somehow my smart got weirder. <laughs> it's the best way to put it. <laughs> like, that's a great description. Like, It was a little bit like, well, I'm smart because, you know, it's like, because I think when you're smart, you're like, well, why, how do I know I'm smart? And that's a kind of, um, that sounds very egocentric and self-centric a little bit, but I think sometimes it's like that identity piece. How do I know? How do I know? Well, so part of it was, I know I'm smart because I do well in school. I know I'm smart because I like to read. I know I'm smart because I have things to say in class, right? I know I'm smart because I get excited about ideas, all that stuff. Yes, yes, yes. And then it started to be like, well, I knew not to trust that person. How did I know I was smart then? Or I remember even, uh, (laughs) oh dear. So I was in high school and this was, so back in high school and the, basically I told a friend that, uh, who I I was reading over an email or something, something, something happened, some, some interaction happens. It was small, but I looked at my friend. I said, you know, she's in love with you, right? Like out of nowhere. And now 15 years later, they're married with children. So, and, and so again, moments like that in my life where I'm like, how did I know that? Or, you know, I met someone and immediately I hear this whisper, like, don't trust them. So I thought I was smart, but lucky for a long time. Right. Because I was like, well, you know, you know, I'm, I'm like, listen, statistics, like, you know, these are just like accidents and these are complete coincidences, right? Like I was on that path for a very long time, but then so smart. So we, I have smart, but smart didn't explain all of it. And then I kind of was like, well, there are things I know that aren't from books or anything, but I'm just lucky. I'm a smart and lucky person. And finally, I met someone and I I knew right away it was a weird like sense. I was like, okay, you can trust this person, but they're hiding something from you. Now that's a weird vibe to get. Right. Right. Can you, so you like, yes, I could trust them. Yes. They were trustworthy person. And there's something there. And there's something they're hiding from me. So that kind of intrigued me. Whereas like, you're a trustworthy person, but you're hiding something. Right. Because I'm like, I don't understand that. And I kind of let that go. Cause I'm like, whatever. Again, at that point I'm like, well, 
I'm smart. I'm good with people. And sometimes I'm lucky, but this one's weird. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to let this one pass. One day, it seemed like a fire, like a comet out of nowhere. I had a sense of exactly what this person was hiding. And if I were right, no, I wasn't right, but I was right enough. That was a weird part. You know, I, I had a reason to sit, to say something. So I went to this person that says something very direct. I had a very direct question for him about this thing I thought he was hiding. Because again, it was like, you can trust him, but he's hiding something from you. And he looked at me like his, his, his hand was caught in the cookie jar. And like, he looked at me like I caught him doing something, which was what, not what I expected to him to react. I, anyway, he looked at me and he's like, I know you're direct. I know you're smart. I know you're intuitive, but why did you have to ask me that question that way? And I pause and I'm like, what? What? What do you mean I'm intuitive? Like that, that like word, like blew my mind. And at that point in my life, like I had read through Judith Orloff's Empath Survival Guide. And I thought half of it was great, but I also thought half of it was super weird. Anything about energy. And I was like, I was like, this, this lady's like, again, I wasn't ready for that. And I had read through the highly sensitive person, Elaine Aaron, which was more comfortable for me. But I looked at him and I was just like, what? <laughs> and, and that was the beginning of another strange adventure for me. <laughs> I want to know how, I want to know how you got to where you are. So that guy blew your socks off. Yeah. Basically when he called you out for what you, yeah. wanted, you didn't use that word for you. Right. <laughs> I was like I'm smart, I'm observant, I'm lucky sometimes. What does this have to do with intuition? Right. But it blew my mind. So how how does your intuition come through? I would say I have an active, like, again, mental imagination. Um, I think it's something I kind of reinforced, was reinforced and um, came through through writing, a lot of writing practice. So an active kind of visual imagination and an active hearing imagination. Um, Some people might call those clairvoyance and clairaudience. I go back and forth on, you know, those terms in in terms of what I want to call it. But having an, I would say having an active inner, having an actor, active inner mind is something that is very me. Yes, totally. Yeah. And so when you get intuitive ideas, I call them intuitive flashes a lot of times. They Mm -hmm. come in. Yeah. And they seem to come out of nowhere. Maybe, yeah. you know, in the shower or driving down the road right. all of a sudden, or like reading something for your friend and all of a sudden, boom, you get the information. How do you handle that today in your life? That's a good question. I call those moments subtitles. Um, subtitles, great. That's a good name for them. Because, and, 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 and specifically because I think when I've talked to people before and when I presented on this, you know, listen, anyone 
you know, we live in this world. We live in a three-dimensional world, whether we want to or not, we do live here. And um, it is very, very easy to mistake an intuitive insight for just, um, you know, preoccupation, you know, kind of repetitive thoughts, anxieties, and other issues. Um, So to me, the kind of what I call subtitles, are usually, uh, first of all, you mentioned like where they come. So like the shower, you're driving, you're kind of, you're relaxing your mind or they're really nonlinear. And that's like how, again, coming back to my friend in the question, um, the kind of embarrassing question I asked him, it was a nonlinear, um, a nonlinear insight. And um, that is one way to um, kind of, sense it. But I also think with intuition, you know, I'm always very careful on, um, I would say reality checking my gut instincts. And I think that's very important because I think there's a kind of, um, I don't want to say misconception or certainly I think, you know, maybe you've seen a Disney movie and you have a sense that like you live in the crystal ball and everything, you know, the answer to everything all the time, everywhere. Um, and I think that's not, um, first of all, it's not realistic. (laughs) Secondly, it's not, um, it's not a helpful kind of mental image. Um, I think that anytime I have intuitive information or information from greater consciousness or creative information or what have you, you know, the first question is always like, what, like, do I act on it now or do I wait to see what develops? And usually, usually it's wait to see what develops. And then the other question becomes, um, like, what's, I, I often ask myself, like, what's the risk of acting or what's the risk of not acting on this? In other words, so, so in other words, I'm not going to do anything like, Ooh, you know, this company feels good to me. I'm going to like invest a thousand dollars, you know, a thousand dollars in stocks or something like that. It's more subtle and it does, it usually takes, as you know, you know, these are insights that might develop over weeks, months, or years. And that's when you know, it's a real insight instead of just a kind of passing flight of fancy. Right. Yeah. I see when I first started really applying my intuition, I was young and naive a lot. And I used to call it spiritual naivete. Like I just knew stuff you know, and I didn't use the word intuition at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I really had to work with myself on the whole timing, the three dimensional versus the spiritual. Like if I, if it came through, I'm like, okay, we'll do it this weekend. It'll be done by tomorrow or whatever. Yeah. That whole sit and see part takes a little while because it feels so strong sometimes. Yeah. And it's like, well, the physical world's a little slower. We'll all like, you know, wait for them. But don't you also have that experience too being gifted sometimes that your ideas and the way you see things are ahead. Even if we took out the intuition and you kind of have to wait for other people to catch up. Don't you see that from the gifted perspective too? I do, but that's not me, which is maybe a gift, but who, but I, but Diane, (laughs) so, so, you know, I, I, I've seen it in other people. The example I can think of right now um, is, you know, someone who is playing Monopoly or a board game and sees the end of the game and tells the, they tells the person they're playing with, you know, you just made a losing move, right? And it's like, oh, you're no, you know, and then it becomes a sense of like, well, how did I just knew that because that was obvious to me. And then the other people are like, oh, you're no fun. 
Um, I, you know, that that's another example I can think of where gifted right. plus intuition kind of play an interesting role. And again, it goes beyond kind of just smart. Um, but what you're describing, so Diane, I told you I was going to talk about Shakespeare. You are describing Hamlet. Yes. You know, I don't know why you're describing Hamlet. So again, um, in Hamlet, so and and Shakespeare again, very interesting personally. So um, the ghost of the father, the father's ghost visits Hamlet, right? right. And I'm, I'm sure. Listen, Hamlet is Lion King. <laughs> I always tell people. So all you know, all you need to know right now is that you know the father is going to tell Hamlet that um, you know your uncle killed me and is now with my you know like now with my like kind of kind of giving the deets here. Um, you know, I didn't die by accident. Like everyone thinks I did. Um, I didn't die by a snake bite. I died by your uncle. Okay. First of all, the ghost, as far as both in Shakespeare and for people who've had spiritual experiences, um, the ghost speaks a lot. I find that very interesting on a spiritual level that you have a ghost. And so who, who really is speaking in verse, um, the other kinds of uh, magical creatures in Shakespeare, we have, um, I'm thinking Julius Caesar and Macbeth, do not speak that much. But this ghost goes on and on and on and on like a real character. And I think for anyone spiritual, you're like, that's a little weird to have something just like go on and on and on, like exact, like with the cognition of a real person. So I think that's the first hint that Hamlet is a little, how should I say, out of balance. Does that make sense to you? Yes. What, what word would you use? It makes that? it makes perfect sense. And when I, the word I would use is kind of um, like a like an skewed trajectory. It's not linear. It, it's mm-hmm. got that circular piece to it that doesn't make logical sense. And you could just read it and think, oh, well, the ghost is talking. Or you could look at it deeper and say, hold on a second here. There's more going on. And, and, and you know, Shakespeare had a lot of intuition. So I think this was a really great way that he was able to express it in an acceptable manner. Um, I find it fascinating though. Cause again, this, so this ghost is like talking, talking, talking. And, um, so the, the ghost says, um, where is it? Oh my goodness. Uh, basically the ghost says, Hamlet, keep your head. Oh, here we go. Um, but however, however, basically you take revenge, um, on me, um, Taint not that mind, taint not thy mind, nor let thy soul contrive against thy mother ought. So I like that taint not that mind advice in like, honestly, lines of dialogue. And um, Hamlet then kind of goes and says that, like, basically, I feel like he's basically saying the ghost has visited, the spirit thing has visited him. And so now he doesn't need anything else. Um, He says um, I'll wipe away all trivial fond records, all saws of books, all forms, all pressured pat, precious past that youth and observation co- copied there. And thy com- commandment all alone shall live within the book and volume of my brain. So I'm like, I almost interpret that as like uh, that kind of like he's too spiritual. He's too trusting of this ghost. He's going to throw away um, real life external information, common sense, and follow this very, very verbal ghost there like that that's talking to him. And I feel like Shakespeare, again, with that kind of insight 
is also using Hamlet as an object lesson of you can't be too intuitive. You can't be too spiritual. You can't be too woo woo. You're going to ruin common sense. So (laughs) it's totally trash everything if you go too far out there. Exactly. Exactly. But I think it's a good reminder for anyone who's listening to this podcast and is like, this stuff is a little nutsy or anyone who has these experiences that, you know, basically Shakespeare saying to us, like, don't be Hamlet. Don't be so in love or ever trusting of your visions and insights and don't fall so in love with your experiences that you forget that you're in a world of letters and science. Don't forget that you live here and don't forget to observe your world. Don't forget to use data. Don't forget to use scientific method. Don't forget to be grounded. But, and I always say it's a yes. And because some people, they touch that spiritual piece and then they go off like did, Right. And, and then some people like slam the door and get even more rigid. And that's also not the way to go. It's, it's always right. a yes and. I always figure it like, you know, like a tandem bike or something, you know, frozen down the road together. It's yes right. and. We're in the physical world and we have all this other information. Does it make it good, bad, or indifferent? Yeah. And we don't want to throw away one for the other. So the person, the character who shuts the door, <laughs> Diane, you're doing a Shakespeare book talk for me. Okay. The character who shuts the door on intuition is Julius Caesar. Oh yeah. Julius Caesar. And I will say this because I teach this play. He gets warned that he, he gets warned five times throughout the play. And each time he gets warned, it becomes more and more practical and less woo woo. Cause, and I think again, for someone who is, who has intuitive experiences, um, you're used to patterns. And if you're used to synchronicity and looking for repetition, you can see this in the play. And it's great that Shakespeare hides it there uh, because this was so obvious to me reading it over. Like, oh, he's getting the warrant. The message is coming back. Hey, beware the Ides of March. <laughs> like something might happen, but he gets it in different forms. Um, so I'm going to speak. I'm going to skip over the more famous. The soothsayer warns him uh, beware the Ides of March because that's like the well-known one in the movies. I, I can talk about that scene at length. But to your point about shutting down your own intuition, there is a famous scene. There's a famous line. So again, Cassius is going to assassinate Caesar and um, Caesar does not speak much in this play, uh, but he does have this moment. He's talking to cat. He's talking to his best friend, Mark Anthony, and he's talking about Cassius. And he says he, he is, this is such a beautiful character read and character analysis and such a great example, I think of emotional insight and intuition. Um, he tells, um, he basically tells Mark Anthony, he says, you know, um, Cassius reads much. He's a great observer and he looks quite through the deeds of men. He loves no plays as thou, as thou dost, Anthony. He hears no music, seldom he smiles and smiles in such a sort as if he mocks himself and scorned his spirit that could be moved to smile at anything. Such men as he be never at heart's ease while they behold a greater than themselves, and therefore they are very dangerous. So right there, right? Right there, Caesar has, to me, such a smart read on Cassius, on the senator. He is like, wow, this guy's never happy. When he smiles, it looks fake. He wants something, and he wants something not good. 
Cassius, Caesar knows Cassius is not happy with himself. Right? Right, right. We can see that. But there's a but, because this is Shakespeare. Then Caesar goes on right. So he has this beautiful moment of intuition, insight, intelligence that, again, is like shrewd reading of character. And then he tells Mark Anthony, he says, rather, I rather tell thee what is to be feared than what I fear. For always I am Caesar. And so he's basically like, well, I'm not going to be afraid because Caesar isn't afraid. So he sh- he has the insight and then he shuts it down because he's like, eh. I find that moment so real. Mm-hmm. It's so real and it's so raw. I mean, how many times have we shut down something and then looked back and went, well, uh, that wasn't the smartest move ever, or we paid a negative price in some way or another. And and I think that's true for all of us who have intuition, even people who don't even call it that or know yeah. that, you know, because Forbes said that intuition is the highest form of intelligence. And and a lot of people think it's only woo-woo. It's not. And we can look back and say, I knew better on this gut level and this energy level, this inner level. I just knew better. Right. And, and I didn't listen to it. I shut it down. I let my brain override it. And it wasn't pretty. What happened yeah. wasn't pretty, whatever that would be. And we right. all can relate to that. And um, yeah, yeah. And I think that this example is such a beautiful one because, first of all, I think it, it's very normal. I think most, my guess is if you don't know, do a survey, many people have experiences where they meet someone, they just know don't trust them. And um, sometimes you have to let your subconscious mind say something. And now, you know, with this information, it's not that Julius Caesar is going to like preemptively, you know, there's nothing to do. Right. It's not like Caesar's going to go out and like do something based on this. But had he listened, it would have been wiser for him. But of course, he gets fooled into going back to the capital. That's another thing, too. Uh, with intuition is your ego gets in the way. So Julius Caesar has that wide open ego and, you know, his wife tells him don't go to the Capitol because she's getting dreams. And she even says, and I, you know, I know this is how you tell me you're like, I never stood on ceremonies. She's basically saying I'm not woo woo <laughs> to Caesar, <laughs> but she's like, you know what? This stuff is giving, it's giving me the creeps. And um, mm-hmm. she knows how to, she knows how to sweet talk him. She's his wife and she's smart and she's a Shakespearean woman. So she's really smart. Um, and she's got some great lines anyway. Um, yes. I think that our egos get in the way of intuition very often. And that's another thing that I think can be difficult. And I think it's where, um, I think that, yes, we can, we, intuition is is what I've learned or what I've realized is I I feel like um, on a spiritual level, on a human level, intuition is an asset, not for my own well-being, but to increase greater harmony in the world. Does that make sense to you? You're making perfect sense to me. And and I'm sure many of the listeners are. And if you really are loving everything Amy's saying, there's links to follow her in the show notes, because I'm like sitting here going, I could talk about this with you for <laughs> the rest of the day without yeah. any difficulty at all. And, <laughs> and yes, I think that, that that's true. I am. Um, 
So everything you're saying resonates. And I think that so many people use all the, don't really get what all these words are about, which is why I wanted to have this conversation Mm -hmm. because living it and being it, you know, like we both do and we know people who are it, I think it really makes a difference. It makes a difference to pay attention. Yeah. You know, I using discernment. Yes. All of these things matters period. And even if, you're listening to us and you're like, yeah, I kind of have, I kind of get it, but I don't really get it. And, or I, I don't know if I'm like them or whatever, as with being sensitive and or gifted and or intuitive or any combination thereof, no two people are the same. Mm. It's not just about thinking, oh, I have to be like that or that it's not that because for all of us, it's a little different, you know, and we're built differently. We have different autobiographies. We're connected differently. And it's still real. So how do you use intuition in the work you do with your students and with the families and, you know, that you're helping them get into college and take care of things and academic things? How do you use your personal intuition to serve your people? Um, that's a good question. I think for me, it's um, attentiveness and asking questions. Um, I don't, again, I don't think of it as like, let me peer into my crystal ball and tell you, you know, what you should do, because again, that's not in line. I I do also believe very strongly in free will and free choice. And I believe very, very strongly. I believe extremely strongly in free choice. Um, I also believe that, you know, let me pause for a moment because I want to answer that question, but I also want to kind of, again, the branching off here. Um, I think a lot of what I've noticed, because I do think that a lot of people who have intuition might not call it that. And they do work either, either they already work in helping fields like psychologists, social workers, um, preschool teachers. Oh my goodness. I think, you know, pre, we could do a whole set, you know, preschool teachers who, or people who work in special education settings or other settings where clients or senior care, any place of care where clients are not verbal or less verbal, that um, I think you develop intuition because you're, the people you work with and the people you work for cannot always verbalize exactly how they're feeling. Or you work in an animal shelter, or you work with, you know, you work with pets. Um, and so you know how, I think a lot of people might realize they're intuitive or they develop intuition. They might say something, they say something, they'd say it to me and it sounds, they think, they think it sounds weird. And I'm like, this is not that weird. Like I know how my dog feels, you know, oh my dog or, or, or they'll say something like my dog knows when I'm upset. Like, and they're like, I think that's crazy. And I want to be like, no, that's not crazy. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> because animals, you know, animals have a, a many, like dogs have a stronger, a more developed sixth sense than most humans do. Anyway. Um, so I think a lot of people who work in fields with clients, um, and humans and animals who are nonverbal develop, I I think naturally over time. And I think many, many, many educators do have a strong intuition, whether or not they realize it. I think anytime you're working with so many humans and so many complicated humans, you kind of just quote unquote, know things like a teacher will plan a lesson and will say, I know that this class will do great with group work, but this class won't. You know, it's like, you just know. Um, So that's one example. I think it's common across teachers, but um, 
I think for me, especially this year in a pandemic year, intuition has really helped me uh, be creative with lesson planning. And, you know, I will, for example, uh, I, I do a lot of re- writing and journaling. And as I write it, I free write and journal. And I, I stole this right from uh, the artist way. Julia uh, last name's Cameron, his last name, Julia Cameron, which I think, by the way, is a tremendously strong book for anyone who wants like a do-it-yourself kind of intuition exploration. Um, So I write like three pages free write every morning. And that's where a lot of my ideas for lessons come up. Or like, hey, I should check this out. Or, hey, I should try this. And in a year like this, where I haven't had access to traditional resources, I feel like my intuition has been great in helping me sense, if you will, how to find resources, where to find books, what might students enjoy reading, including students I've never met before. You know, for some people, they might also just call that creativity. And that's fine, you know, clever creativity. But I think, you know, there's still anytime, you know, anytime you're using creativity, you're coming up with something to fit a situation that hasn't been developed before. So, you know, it's not quite the same as going to the cookbook and following the recipe exactly. You kind of have to try something. You have to be confident and try something new, but also think through or feel through or sense through what's the right move in the right scenario. Absolutely. That's totally true because it's important that we confirm and verify what's happening and what's going yes. on and in a real way. Right. And we don't want to be Hamlet. We don't want to be Hamlet. We don't want <laughs> to get lost out in, in some kind of woo-woo space, but we also don't want to be Caesar and slam the door on it. And yes. So there's that beautiful kind of balance that as we work with it and on yes. ourselves and with people that, that we're working with, things all seem to just really work out really well. And when we ignore it on one side or the other, it can create crazy anxiety or crazy depression or just weirdness. And so you you don't hear anything any differently from Amy and I. You only get this one thing. Really pay attention. Use your discernment on what's going on because there's always more going on than our ego that's not our amigo thinks. Even when we're smart. Yeah. Our brains cannot wrap their minds around it. Totally. It's not linear. So. Um, I want to be respectful of your time because I could talk about you this forever, but I do have a couple questions that are more Amy related than just necessarily intuition related. And one is, um, what is the most memorable food you've ever eaten? Like when you've traveled around or been places and you think of food, like it could be any kind of memory, but what's the one that pops in your head the most of memorable food? I'm, I'm going to say, so it's coming up mm-hmm. as like fried chicken and waffles, but I know you're like North Carolina. I have to be careful here. Cause like, you're like North Carolina right now. So well, I it's just, not- I, just, I just moved to North Carolina like two months ago. <laughs> I'm a Florida girl. So you can say whatever you want to. Um, and I can't remember where I had, it, it was definitely Northeast and it was like a chicken. Basically I feel like anyone from the South would look at this as a sad excuse for what is chicken and waffles. So that's why I'm like a little careful, but I remember like a fried chicken cutlet on top of a Belgian waffle and the fried chicken cutlet was so over fried and the waffle underneath was so soggy. 
and oh, okay. I'm remembering it now. It was, <laughs> this is great. Um, this was a, this was something I had at the IHOP down the street. And the reason it's coming up, cause I was like that, yes, I have this food memory. It was the very first meal I had that was not prepared by me in quarantine. It was a fried chicken and waffle with the bread. So it was IHOP. The bread was, the fried chicken was so overfried and the waffle was so soggy. And yet it was exactly what I needed at that time. Oh, yes, that is a big memory. And when y'all saw her look away and then get the answer, that was intuition. <laughs> Helping her out. Like, here you go. Let me feed the rest of it to you. And it shows up in all the most amazing ways. You just saw it. If you're watching the video and if you're listening to us audio only, either go check out the video or just imagine. <laughs> oh, great. Okay, so before I ask you the last question, I want to ask you if there was anything that you really wanted to share today that we didn't get around to yet. Obviously, we could do more than one episode on all of these things, but is there something that your heart says you really wanted to make sure that we all hear um, before I ask you your last question so that when we're all done, you feel really complete? Let's say like a relief. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yes, I do. Because it was this like thread I could feel growing. And I was like, Oh, I don't want to go too much on the tangent. I think that a lot of people who are intuitive don't realize it because all they know is that people come to them for help. Right. You've seen this all the time. People come and ask them for help. And I think that one of the, and this is where it's like not very magical. And it's actually a little bit like annoying <laughs> for the person experiencing this. Yes. I, I can relate to that totally. <laughs> yes. And people will come to you for help. You'll, you know it because people will ask you for directions when you're in a place where you don't know where you're going. People just sense that you're smart and wise. And they'll ask you for directions. Or they'll ask you for help with strange things. Um, can you help me tie this? Can you help me tie my shoe? And it's like, do I know you? Um, so I think two things. I think one is that um, it's important for people to especially the people who get kind of very heart involved and want to help to set up boundaries and to realize that I think that's the first one and, and, and to realize that it doesn't, doesn't all have to be done by you. And the other piece of that, and sometimes again, I, I, I think sensitive people get over involved when you want to help the person more than they want to help themselves. Yes. And yes. that is when you kind of have to say, you know what, that's actually a form of, and, and, and this sounds cold, but I can say this because I'm not saying this to you. I'm saying this to kind of an ambiguous, amorphous audience. Um, you have to say to yourself, that's actually your ego. Your ego wants their problem to go away. They might not want their problem to go away. You can't decide that, you know, it, it can't. If you want their problem gone because that makes you feel better, you have to realize that you got to switch that equation there. And um, that's something that I've learned and it's I, I've learned quickly and it's been very helpful to me mm -hmm. is just realizing that sometimes people want people are either not ready, sometimes not ready to listen to the answer or want your help because they don't want to help themselves or for whatever other reason are not open to listening and growing. And that doesn't become someone else's problem. That's, that's, that's not your homework. You can't do someone else's homework. And I just think that's an important reminder because I think that once people who do get asked for help a lot and who do kind of get sucked in to um, fixing other people's problems, I think once those individuals have a chance to step back 
um, they have a, more of an opportunity to explore who they are, what they want, what their talents and skills are when they're not being usurped by other people. That's yes. I, all I could do is say yes to all of that because I, I, I think of it as boundaries and making yes. sure that you're really clear on what's going on. And I always tell my clients and I, and I learned it years, 40 years ago, working in substance abuse and mental health, where there was always that push, you know, to take, 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 take. And so I started saying, I will help you to the level that you help yourself. You give mm. 100%, I'll give 100%. You give 10, I'll give 10. I'm not going to overgive. I'm not going to do more for you than you're willing to do for you. I'm yeah. here to help and I'm here to guide and I can, and I have the resources and you take the first step and I will pace you. And I noticed 30 years ago that when I learned that, I don't know how, I don't know how I put it together. Maybe it was intuitive. Um, and I learned and I, and I say that out loud that I don't burn out and it also helps me discern who's really serious about moving and changing and growing and who is just talking about yeah. moving, changing and growing. You can really see the, the undisclosed motive much faster, yeah. you know, and have you ever, do you ever use a um, phrase bear trapping? We don't, we, I said we have bears in New York, but I was like, that sounds really not that. Um, <laughs> I, I don't even know where I learned this. I mm -hmm. probably in graduate school somewhere we started talking about it. I don't really know, but I say it all the time. And you reminded me of bear trapping and bear trapping is when somebody comes to you and goes, Amy, help me, help me, help me. And then you being kind and generous, offer them whatever the help is. And then they go away. You tell them, give them homework, whatever they go away. And of course they do nothing with it. Yeah. And then a little while later, they're back with the same thing again. And then, you know, you're nice and you help them out and go, well, maybe that didn't work. So let's try this. And so by the third time, it's like three strikes are out. I go, I tell everybody by the third time you can't track this bear that what you're really doing when you do that to somebody is setting them up to be responsible for your inaction. And I'm, you're not going to set me up. So when I see it coming by the second time, my radar is hot keener. And then by the third time, I'm like, I love you enough. And I love me enough that I'm not dancing the dance here because you're trying to trap me. Knowingly or unknowingly, most of the time it's unknowingly. But if somebody doesn't say something, then now the helper person gets blamed for yeah. the problem of the other person and that person's misery continues. And the whole goal is, you know, at least the seeming goal, the stated goal is relief of whatever that pain is. And so I was wondering if you ever use that term bear trapping for that, because it's something I think that happens to a lot of people who are naturally giving and helpful. No, you know, whether they're aware of it or not. So I have my radar up when I, when mm -hmm. I start hearing the same thing, you know, coming back. Yeah, yeah definitely. So your last question, because we've taken up so much of your time and this is so much fun. I just love talking to you is, and this is a good one. This is a good one for you. Okay. There is going to be a billboard that we're going to put up and the whole world's going to see it with Amy's Ooh. message on it, your message to the whole world on this billboard. What are we putting on the billboard? Okay. So I'm um, going again, the intuition goes to your initial instinct. You don't think too much about it. Mm -hmm. So the answer there would be lead with talents. It is my, uh, <laughs> it's my newsletter link and my email. Um, I 
do think, you know, when I do either resume reviews or, uh, you know, I'm talking about colleges, you know, I love helping people see themselves in a new way. And sometimes I just think again, to your point about, I'm not really helping well here or how does this, the way in which I am helping is by holding up a mirror and saying, here you are, here's what I see in you today, right now. Um, and that's something that sounds very, very simple, but it's amazing when someone else can help you put words to the person you are. Yes. And that's something I enjoy doing for other people is not to help, um, quote unquote, not to get stuck in something. And, um, you know, also my purview is fairly limited in terms of, I do, you know, you know, as far as in independent work, I do college applications, uh, resumes, career guidance, you know, like my, my purview is very limited, but within that, to be able to hold up a mirror to somebody and say, here's what you've done and here's what I see in you and here are the talents I see in you um, is really enjoyable. And yes, you should use use the talents you have and use what you like to do to keep going. Yes, perfect lead with talents. I love it. It's perfect for a billboard. And, and I think it, I'm getting goosebumps actually. It's one of those reminders that helps undo things like imposter syndrome and feeling depressed or feeling siloed or isolated and all of those things because, whoa, what are my talents? It, it gets the brain out of that negative self-talk into something positive as we're driving by on the road. So lead with talents all over the world, your name on it. Perfect. <laughs> so I want to thank you for taking time out of your very busy day to do this show. And if there's another time you want to do another show, I'm totally open for it. This has been so much fun. And we just barely scratched the surface of an amazing body of work, an amazing yeah. experience of life. And so um, follow Amy on social media and stuff. She's really fun. and. Um, join us for other conversations about being sensitive and gifted and creative and weird, freaky, all those words, quirky. It's all the same and it's all beautiful. So thank you for being on the show. Amy. Thank you. All right, everybody. Remember to keep your face to the sun. So the shadows fall behind you because you're a rock star and you're here on purpose and you have a purpose. So go out there. And as Amy says, lead with your talents until the next episode of someone gets me be well. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.